Amen. If you would join me in Matthew chapter 10, that's going to be our passage of Scripture uh, this morning. I encourage you to turn there in your Bible or use the Pew, Pew Bible that is there in front of you so that you can follow along. Well, Matthew chapter 10 is going to be the text that we studied together. I feel like our hearts are kind of directed in the right avenue uh, this morning as we're thinking about Advent. We think on the words of John. John starts his gospel out a little bit differently than the other gospel writers as he tells the beginning of Jesus' life. He doesn't start at the beginning of Jesus' life here. He starts at the beginning of all things. And so he says, um, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He would later say he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received them, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name passage of scripture that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 10 is the moment that Jesus, who has come and he has started his ministry and he's gathered this, this gathering of disciples around him, he is sending those disciples out to towns and villages that he would eventually go to. He's preparing the way for his ministry in the days ahead. And there would be some of these towns and villages where he would not be received and his disciples would not be received. And here at our church, we've been talking about evangelism and our call to share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. And I hope that we will draw some lessons from Matthew chapter 10, because we are in a world where Jesus came, but he was not received. He has come to be among his own, and his own have not known him. They have not received him. In 1936, a man by the name of Leslie Newbegin, who was in his mid to late 20s, left his homeland of England to serve as a missionary in India. And he would serve in India for about 35 years. And so after he's done three and a half decades of missionary work, starting churches among the people of India, he and his wife are leaving India and going back to England. And there in their 60s, they decide that they will travel from India to England by bus. And they take a bus back. And Nubian notices that as they're making their journey, the further they get into Europe, the more godless they find it. And here they have left England to go to India to serve as missionaries and start churches. They've left their homeland to go to a place where people don't know about God. And after those years, those decades of serving there, they come back to their homeland and they find that the people in their homeland have forgotten God. Newbegin would spend his his remaining days writing about missions. He had all of this experience of serving on the mission field. But he wrote about it in the sense that there was, there's this need for the churches in his homeland, in Europe, in England, to recognize what's happening. 
Because just as India was this place where God was not known, England had become this place where God was not known, but there was a major difference. The churches in India realized that they were on a mission field. The churches in England did not. And so he wrote the remaining years of his life and he preached trying to communicate to churches that they were on the mission field. Newbegin talked about there's really three cultures. There's a first culture. That's a culture that doesn't know God. No one has carried the gospel to them. Then there's a second culture, a culture where someone has carried the gospel and churches have been planted and evangelistic efforts have gone out and people know God. But then there is a third culture where people have come to know God, but as a culture, they have rejected God. And what Newbegin found when he returned home was he left a first culture to serve in a second culture, but he came back home to a third culture. He, he went to share the gospel where, he, where Jesus wasn't known. He came back to a place that had known Jesus but had rejected him. America today is in a third culture. America today is where England was in the 70s and 80s when Newbegin returned home. You and I, we do not minister in what people would often refer to as a mission field, but it is a mission field. We have the gospel in our language. We have the Bible written in our native tongue. But all around us, there are people that do not know of God. They do not know the significance and meaning of Jesus. They've heard of Jesus. They know that there's a church on their street corner but they don't really know anything about what is in the Bible or what people are about. Years ago, when, when my grandfather and my parents would serve in ministry, there were people who didn't know Jesus, but just about all of them had a grandma or a grandpa that was praying for them, that had taken them to Sunday school, and they'd heard Bible stories. In our generation, that's not the case. Grandma didn't take our generation to Sunday school, our generation's grandma went to Woodstock. It's a different culture that we're in today. And that's, there's opportunity here if we recognize what we're in. And this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, I've heard it preached on as if it's just for people who are going to do mission work somewhere else. They're going to take the gospel to some place where the language, the Bible hasn't been translated into that language, and that's appropriate for them, but it is also appropriate for us. Jesus is going to send the disciples out, but he sends them specifically to towns and villages that are of the people of Israel. He starts there. And so... That's what we're going to pick up on in Matthew chapter 10. And this happens right on the heels of Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says, Pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers into the harvest. In the beginning of chapter 10, he names his 12 disciples. There are 12 disciples who are named. There's a group of 70 who are unnamed, a group of 120 that are unnamed. But there are these 12 that are named. And he sends these specifically out in this moment. And he gives them some instructions. Some, some, some words of advice tells them how they should go about this ministry that he's sending them on. And that's what we find in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus says, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. And that's not him saying we're not going to carry the gospel to those people because they would later. Jesus is making a strategic decision here that they're going to go to these towns and villages where he would show up later. He's starting with Israel and he would later command them to go out into all the earth and all of the regions. Similar, you and I, we are, we're called to reach the world. We're called to take the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth, but I'm not able to do all of that my own, on my own. And some of us, perhaps someone here, God is calling to carry the gospel overseas. But all of us, all of us are on a mission field right now. And whether or not we get on a plane or a boat and we go somewhere far away, we are called to do what these disciples do here. We're called to proclaim the gospel to the world. And so Jesus gives some instructions on their work. Verse 8, he says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into the household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Jesus tells them some things things that are probably not surprising to us. He tells them to go and to heal the sick to meet the needs of those around them. But then he tells them, and don't take any money. And don't take an extra coat. And don't even take any luggage. Now, probably in every family, there's the person that packs like this much stuff for a week trip, right? And then there's the person who takes four suitcases for an overnight stay, right? Maybe you're the kind of person like, I'm going to be gone for three days. I need at least seven pairs of underwear to take with me, right? Jesus tells the disciples, don't take any extra luggage. Don't take a bag. Don't take an extra coat. Just go with what you have on and find a place to stay. And he's giving them some kind of the the nuts and bolts of what they're going to do there. But I hope that you see more than the nuts and bolts of what they're doing and the actions that they're taking. I hope that you see their approach. I hope that you see there's a basic demeanor that he wants them to have. Jesus wants them to go in a posture of trust that God will provide and that he will make Away. Let's keep reading in verse 14. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, what are those next three words? Do not worry. Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. He says, don't worry. He tells them not to take extra clothes and money, and those are practical ways for them to live out what he tells them they should do if they find themselves about to be delivered up before a council. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. The demeanor of the disciples as they were going was to be one of peace. They were to be non-anxious. How many of you have ever been in an argument? Right? All of us, right? And how do you feel in that moment that you're in the argument? Is it all logic? Right? Is it all reasoning? No. It, it's, it's, it's an argument when you start to feel frustrated and you get a little heated. Right? And you get emotional. And it's less logic, and you start maybe even a little bit of name-calling, right? And, and you're tempted to, to, to raise your voice and get louder, and if the person won't hear you at this volume, you'll go to another level of volume, right? And the argument becomes less rationale and logic and reasoning, and it becomes more emotion. It becomes angry. You get heated, you get frustrated, you get angry. What I think we have all around us in our culture right now is a lot of that. And there is no sign of any of that in what Jesus lays out for the disciples. Jesus says, when they deliver you up to the councils, don't worry about it. He tells them to go with this peace and to be non-anxious, to not be filled with anxiety and fear. And first this morning, I want to show you why that's important, and then I want to show you how it can be done. Now, I recently stumbled upon some writing from Michael Graham, which I'm, I'm going to paraphrase for you. But he, he says, America continues to fracture into every possible permutation and combination. And in our current climate and culture, standing out as a Christian should become easier and easier and easier. Because we're not swept up in the madness. The key is a quiet confidence that comes from knowing you serve a good and sovereign God. In our post-COVID world, there are increasing percentages of people who are anxious. They've been living in a constant state of heightened cortisol in their brain. In other words, they're living off of stress and fear and running on adrenaline. That's what happened to me. In July of 2020, I collapsed and had to go to the hospital. And once the doctors figured out what was going on with me, that my thyroid was constantly running at a red line, this 10,000 RPMs, just constant. 
from months of trying to lead our church through this COVID pandemic, it just was pegged out. It was like the accelerator was stuck. And so they had to, they had to use medication to get my thyroid to just calm down. Thanks to the Lord, I'm glad to report to you that I haven't taken that medicine for three months. And just recently I went to the doctor just last week and all my levels are normal. But that running on that, 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 that adrenaline for months on end, it had a physical impact on me. And people all around us, they're running on constant outrage and fear. This anxiety, Graham points out, is both contagious and repulsive. It repels. And so it's hard to be persuasive. It's hard for us to communicate, hey, I want to tell you all about the God of peace when we live with constant anxiety and fear. So when Jesus sends the disciples out, he sends them to be people of peace. And to go and share this gospel of peace. Graham said in his, his little article, he said, picture this. He said, picture having people over to your home for dinner. And you're talking to them and you're asking questions about their viewpoint, even though it's completely different from yours. Even though they see the world completely, drastically differently from you. And they share these things with you and you don't react emotionally. And he says, for the Christian, this is possible because we know that no matter what this world thinks and no matter what take or perspective or view this world has, it gives no threat to the gospel. No matter what happens, kings may come and go. There is no threat to the gospel. And so we can have this this confident peaceful, quiet, calm posture because we know that our God is sovereign. And when we say that, we're not just saying a theological term. We're saying something that is practical. He is in control. And it might feel like the world is running off of the rails, but God is not out of control. He is still in control. And when we have this demeanor, Not only is it beneficial to us, it's attractive to others. It's something that they want. So a significant part, this is what Graham says, a significant part of gospel ministry is minding our own emotional state. It's being at peace. We must be the ones who resist anxiety so that we can help others find hope and peace in the gospel. It's much easier for us to be persuasive about the Lord of peace when we are people of peace. And so one of the most missional and strategic moves that we can make, one of the things that we can do as a church to be a church on the mission field of Chandler, Indiana, Warwick County, Indiana, Southern Indiana, one of the most missional things that we can do is not freak out while the world is freaking out. 
It's, it's fascinating that here Jesus does not give them final instructions on the right pitch or script to use. Jesus doesn't say, all right, Peter, when someone says this, what are you going to say? When they give you this obstacle, here's what you say. When they have this question, take them to this passage of Scripture. Remember this acronym that I've showed you so that you know all of the right things to say to them. What he's most concerned about is for them to have this demeanor of peace and not fear when they show up in these towns and villages. Now, it might be that Jesus knew what research has shown through the years. People are actually less likely to be convinced by logic and reason and an argument when they're emotional. Right? You ever had a salesman just try to convince you to do something you didn't want to do? Right? And everything they said could make the most sense in the world, but you're like, no. Right? When you argue with someone, they react emotionally, you react emotionally, and typically we just double down on our opinion. Even when they've convinced us we're wrong, right? And maybe we'll come back a day later and say, you know what, you're, you're right about that. But in that moment, we're emotional. So Jesus says to the disciples, go where you are welcomed Find people who are open, people who welcome you, and share with them. And if they reject you, it's fine. Shake that off and move on to the next place. Jesus knows that this is going to happen. He knows that there will be people who will reject the message. That will happen, and it's okay, is what he's saying. He says, and there will be some people that they not only reject the message but they're going to haul you in front of a judge. They're going to try to throw you in prison. And if it happens, it's all right. And then there's this really interesting verse in verse 16. Look at verse 16 with me. Behold. And listen, when, when the Bible says behold, it's this, have you ever been talking to someone and you can see their eyes are glazing over and they're kind of going somewhere else in their minds? Like, I see it in some of you right now. And like, I'll go like, hey, and I'll try to get your attention again. Jesus is in the middle of talking to them and says, hey, listen, behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And this verse is fascinating to me. I think about it regularly. Because there's, there's four animals here. We have this analogy of these four different animals. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. We're the sheep. Do you know what natural defenses a sheep has? None. None. Right? Now, I'm sure you can probably go find some video on YouTube somewhere of a sheep, like, fighting or something. But it's not normal. Okay. Not a whole lot of guard sheep around. <laughs> Sending you out as sheep. You're my followers. I'm your shepherd. And I'm sending you out among people that I know are evil. Among people I know who are going to reject you. Among people I know are going to do you harm. So because I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves... 
I'm sending you out among people who have sharp fangs and sharp teeth. You need to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. John Piper pointed out, you know what, what is, would be really wise, like a serpent level wise thing to do is if you're a sheep, don't go among wolves, right? Obviously, the wise thing here to do is don't go among the wolves. So clearly, this verse is, is communicating to us there's tension here. You, you need to be wise as a serpent, but I'm sending you out among the wolves anyway. So they're among them. In a situation that we know will be difficult, in a situation that we know will be hard, in a place where we know that God's gospel has been rejected, you need to be wise. That's the reality. You need to be wise. But not just wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Jesus is telling us here to be wise, but not let our wisdom become cunningness or trickery. The word for harmless here is literally simple. And it doesn't mean childish or, or silly. It doesn't mean simple, like a four-year-old is simple. What it means is rather simple in the sense that there's not a whole lot of ingredients. Right? Some of you cooked some incredible food this past week. Like, I mean, you got secret ingredients. There's stuff in that that we don't, we don't even know, right? You know what I made this week? I made toast. It's just one ingredient and the toaster. That's what I can handle. It's simple. I made myself a bowl of cereal this week. It's the cereal out of a box and the milk. That's it. It's simple. The idea here is simple as doves. It's not super complicated because it's It's pure. It doesn't have a bunch of mixed ingredients. It doesn't have mixed motives. It's pure. What Jesus is saying is be wise as serpents and authentic and real, pure. Be wise as serpents, but don't become trickery. So this is not some, some strategic sales tactic. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, listen, you know, pretend like you don't care when you go into the villages because that makes the gospel seem cool and people want in on it. This isn't Jesus saying, like, ah, people reject you, just slough it off like you're one of the cool kids in high school who care less. No, it's, it's him saying it needs to be real and genuine and authentic. You need to recognize that we are building a kingdom that is not of this world. It is something far greater, that you serve a king who is good and sovereign, and we are unconcerned with the things of this world because we are so invested in the things of the next world. It's pure, it's real, it's authentic. It's not good marketing. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's not photoshopped. It's not a facade. It's real. And how in the world do we have that? How do we have something genuine and authentic, something real that is not anxious while this world is turning upside down? Jesus tells us, Jesus goes on in the rest of this chapter to tell the disciples why they can have this peace and this quiet confidence. Look down at verses 28 and 29. 
Do not fear those who could kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. How can, how can we have this, this quiet confidence? How can we have this, this peace? Know that the one who we serve, he is God Almighty. And he knows everything that's going on. God hasn't lost your paperwork in the shuffle. God isn't just unaware of what's happening in your life. He knows your situation so well. He knows it better than you do. He knows how many hairs are on your head. None of you even know that about yourself, but God knows it about you. Some of you are worried about how much hair you're losing. God knows exactly how much hair you're losing. He knows. He knows you. And it says here that that not even a sparrow can fall without his will. God is in control. He is sending them out to these villages, to these places. And if they suffer harm, it's okay. Because those people might be able to do harm to their bodies, but they cannot do harm to their soul. Their soul is in God's hands. And you know what's incredible about this? God knew everything about you and your situation before we had cable news. Before there was someone just constantly reporting everything that's going on. God already knew. God knew knew everything about you before you started posting it all online. He knew. He knows. It's something we say all the time. Have you heard? Did you hear about? Did you see? Because there's something new. Something incredible. Something preposterous. Something infuriating. No one ever says that to God and go, oh, I hadn't heard about that. He knows. He knows. How can we have this quiet confidence and this peace? Because our God knows, and He is in control. Verse 32, He says, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Not only has He not forgotten about you, just as you have confessed Him before men, He will confess you before God. And as hard as it might be to stand in front of a council of authority, to find yourself before a judge, to find yourself before these people in power at your job or or in your, your government or whatever it might be, they do not hold any authority in light of the authority that God has. And in the most important court and place of authority, Jesus says, I vouch for you. And people may say whatever they want in the court of public opinion. And they may say whatever they, they, they want in front of the magistrate or in front of your boss. But I stand for you before my Father in heaven. You confess me before men, I confess you before God. And friends, that is a deal. 
He hasn't forgot about you. And He vouches for you before the most supreme authority in the universe. Paul would live this out. Paul would write about having to stand before Roman authorities, which he did numerous times. And on one occasion, he stands before the Roman authorities and all of those that were in his group, all of those that were ministering alongside of him, for for one reason or another, one was sick, another had forsaken him and left, another was ministering elsewhere. For, For whatever reason, nobody could be there with him. And he says, no one stood with me. Paul stood alone when he faced that tribunal. He says, but the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. And Jesus is saying to these disciples, you are going out as sheep among wolves, but know that I am with you. Verse 42. He says, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Not only does Christ protect what is most important in your soul, not only does he stand with us before God, he does not forget a single effort done in his name. There is no effort done for his cause, for his kingdom, that goes unnoticed or that is forgotten. You know, there was a time that I felt like the work of 15 years was being erased. There was a time that I felt like the work of 15 years was just evaporating. That all of that effort and all of that labor was for nothing. You know what that was? That was a lie from the devil. Because the Lord knew And even if it did all get washed away, even if it was 15 years that never showed any fruit, God knew. And even the smallest act of giving a cup of cold water to someone in Jesus' name, God notices and he will reward We can have this quiet confidence and this peace because we know that we're serving something greater than this world. We're serving something greater and far more important than the kingdoms of men. And God knows. He notices. And it matters. And it has meaning. And so when you find yourself in the middle of the night caring for that child for that aging parent or you share an invitation or you share the gospel with someone and it's rejected or you do a kindness for someone because of the work that Christ has done in your heart all of that is noticed and even if none of it is remembered here on earth even if it's never applauded even if it's never had a plaque made about it God sees and he does not forget And it has meaning. It matters. I'm getting older, as people do. 
And as I get older, I, I find more and more a sense of, I want people to remember things. And I want them to remember people. And I want you to know the stories of people who came before us. But that's an impossible job because not even I know all the stories. But God sees it all. all has meaning and it matters. So how can we have confidence when we're just sheep among wolves? Because we serve a good and sovereign God who stands with us, who vouches for us, knows us and does not forget us. And as our world rages, as the nations rage, as economies dip and tank, as governments threaten war, as people reject the gospel, we are able to have peace and be a people who are not anxious. We are at peace. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you Thank you that when you came, you brought us peace. Lord, I pray that this season we would not only rest in and rejoice in that peace, Lord, but as we pray for that one, that person that we feel called to share the gospel with, Lord, as we have opportunities to share it with them, Lord, that we would do so without fear, without anxiety. Lord, that as we serve as missionaries here in this land, in this culture, in this broken community, that we would do so without being fearful. Lord, that we would be a non-anxious presence because our eyes are on you. We trust in you. Lord, I ask that during this invitation time, as we put our hearts and minds upon you and you coming to be with us, Lord, that we would just be filled with your joy and your peace. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you would remain just seated and in a posture of prayer, they're going to lead us in a song. And I